A few weeks ago, I got to see a good friend of mine that I hadn't seen much over this pandemic. And so he poured a glass of scotch. We sat downstairs and listened to some music. And he said to me, I got a song that I think would be perfect for your podcast. I said, all right. You know, I was wondering what it would be. And once he played this song... Like, I, we've already done Call Me Maybe, though, right? <laughs> Thanks, Frank. Frank, just, <laughs> just stay to my story here. Once he played this song, as soon as I heard the opening notes, all I could say was, Ah, oh, yeah, this is exactly what we're about. Yeah, this is, um, I know we say this, and we always say it's a big song, it's an important song, but this is a big and important song. When Bill told me that we were going to do Angel Eyes by Jeff Healy, like, I was like, how have I not thought of that before this? Like, this is, this is such a perfect song to talk about. And we brought our friend Bruce along, who uh, suggested the song to us uh, to, to join us on this episode. So, uh, Bruce, welcome to Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures. Uh, you have uh, you have a couple of moments to uh, to state your case on the song. Hey, thanks. Um, really great to be here to be a part of the Winchester vibe. Um, always love it uh, when I get a chance to hang out here and and with you guys especially. This song, when I first heard it, uh, it it caught my attention as just being. Wow, this is a fantastic ballad. And it, it came out at a time where I was really at a busy transition time in my life. And I didn't get to pay a lot of close attention to it at that point. It was coming out just as I was uh, getting into my first year of entering the teaching profession. Uh, my son was about a, a month away from being born. And uh, so I was probably stuck on the middle of the 401 collector lanes with a, a U-Haul truck that uh, couldn't crack 80 on a downgrade uh, when I first heard the song. But anyway, it's been part of my, uh, you know, individual song-loving history for a long time. Well, perfect. Well, let's dive in. That's a little more specific than the first time I remember hearing this song. I think I just remember it as always being there. Well, it, well, because we were so, um, when we heard it, we were in grade, so this is 19. We were 12 years old, right? Yeah. Eight, or 89, was it? Or? 89 is when I heard it, but I think it came out in 88. The album seven? came out in 88. Yeah. Uh, let me see what Wikipedia says for when the when the single actually came out. I think uh, it's 89. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's the third single, second, second single? single, second single. So this comes out, we're 12. Yeah. And we're, this is, I know it through, of course, through music video primarily. Yeah. 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 That's all I got to say. That's all. That. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I don't want to be disingenuous and suggest that I can remember the first time I heard this song, but I do know that. So you lied to us, is what you're saying. <laughs> you, you started off this episode with a lie. I said I was probably stuck on the 401 I when... Uh, I like that story. Loopholes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to oh, keep that in. Listen, it was it was scary, and I know it's tangential, but I had to wait five minutes to be able to run across uh, the collector lanes to get to a payphone because uh, cell phones weren't quite uh, ubiquitous at that point. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 12-year-old us and uh, adult Bruce here is uh, our... In 89, when this song comes out, and it's on uh, Jeff Healy's first album, right? Yeah. It's uh, See the Light. Uh, See the Light, yeah. And I always forgot, like, how young he was for this song, right? Like, it's it doesn't seem... He's 22 years old when, when, when this song comes out, and he he never seemed like a 22-year-old to me. Oh. Well, I, I was uh, reviewing some stuff and saw that... I mean, he was really a prodigy of... Of many sorts. He apparently appeared on a TVO kids show 
um, you know, when he was uh, quite young. And then he was hosting a CBC national radio show as a teenager. This guy was so deeply immersed in his craft and in music that uh, he could just do stuff that uh, his peers would not be able to do. So, I mean, in case our listeners don't know, Jeff Healy was uh, born with an eye condition, or at least he developed one in his first year of life, yeah. and they had to take out his eyes mm-hmm. in order to to save him at that point. And so he did end up succumbing to cancer in the mid-2011, two, or 2011, I think? 2008. Oh, 2008, okay. So he was blind from one year's onwards. Mm-hmm. He started learning the guitar when he was three. Yeah. Three. And he developed a unique way of uh, playing the guitar. He just sat it on his lap and played it like like a piano almost, right? Yeah, they said that he couldn't hold it in a normal you know, way, so that this was the only way he could kind of uh, start... Uh, to play the instrument that he had fallen in love with. Right. And so apparently he used his thumb as a fifth uh, finger on the fret or something like okay. they described it, where I'm like, well, listen, I have no idea what this is, but I know yeah. watching him <laughs> that there's nothing like this guy from what it sounds like. Stevie Ray Vaughan, B.B. Uh, King, they all were basically lauding him when yeah. he was in his late teens, which was insane. Like, the stuff he was doing, I guess, I mean, I don't I really don't really know my guitar stuff too well, but apparently what he was doing was was very unique. Yeah, yeah. Bruce, could you tell us? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, you know, my brother plays guitar. I am not a guitarist. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's playing it, you know, from the perspective of, uh, of most people. He's playing it, in the opposite direction, because you would normally have your 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 fingers, if you're right-handed, uh, curl up to the fretboard, you know, reaching up. And when he has the guitar flat in front of him, um, he's just reaching out with his uh, left-hand fingers on the fretboard. Um, so he's negotiating all the the fretboard work in in an opposite direction. The, the great thing about this podcast is uh, everyone can see Bruce demonstrating with, with his hands exactly how, how he was playing. So it, it makes sense to me, but uh, and, and makes sense to all of our listeners who can, who can see this uh, happening well, as well. I, I, w- I will include in the show notes uh, as many videos as I can of his performances, yeah, yeah. which are incredible. They yeah. are incredible. And at one point during See the Light, he uses his teeth on the guitar, I'm like, I don't even know where someone comes up with that idea or what a dentist would think about that. (laughs) But I guess it's good for flossing. Well, (laughs) no, I mean... You're a dad, aren't you? We can tell, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, if you think about people who are, you know, play dobro or, or play pedal steel guitar, then, I mean, it's maybe easier to imagine that way. But what always kind of knocked me out was then he would stand up and start moving around the stage playing in that same upside down capacity. Yeah. Um, and he didn't have a guitar strap on. Mm-hmm. So he's actually just maintaining tension by pressing the guitar against his thighs. Oh, okay. While he's moving around and he's still doing everything with his fingers to, uh, to create the sound. Like it's, it's really something to see. Yeah. It is. It's amazing. So the interesting part is that we picked a song that doesn't really showcase his guitar playing. Yeah. Which is fine by me. It's just this showcases this whole other soul uh, that he brings to the music. And there is something about this song that is particular to Jeff Healy. Yeah. In terms of he didn't write it, but that what he brings to it is this sort of pathos or pathos. I always said pathos. I like the sound. He brings a pathos to this, I feel, anyways. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was his biggest like commercial success as well. Yeah, too, this right? is so a big I mean, one. When, when you think of Jeff Healy, I think most people, well, unless you're uh, a particular sort of music, can I say music nerd? Well, we'll see what happens. Am I, I, I yeah. going to insult people here? We'll see what happens right now. Unless you're a particular music nerd, you know, you're thinking Angel Eyes when you hear Jeff Healy. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk to Angel Eyes. Uh, so, Bruce, you brought this to the table. But when Bruce played it for me, I think you played the songwriter's version of it, 
which I thought was the original, but it turns out that Jeff Healy was the first person to record it. And then the songwriter actually did it like seven or eight years later. Yeah. So this was also one of the ways that I kind of connected to the song um, was, and Bill and I have a shared experience here. Um, We had a great time going to see uh, Lyle Lovett at Massey Hall with his large band, not a big band. And uh, it was just fantastic concert. And um, I was determined I would see Lyle Lovett whenever I had the chance. And the next time he came to town, he didn't have the band, but he was touring with John Hyatt. And so they shared the stage together and they just went back and forth. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I know so little about this other artist, John Hyatt. And then I started looking into his music and discovering, oh, there's so many songs that I could recognize that he wrote, Have a Little Faith in Me, um, amongst others. And uh, just realized that this guy is a classic American songwriter. And, um, you know, he kind of grew up in the Midwest. He's from Indianapolis. And uh, he moved to, to Nashville at a young age. And uh, just got into the business, the music business, as a songwriter. And sometimes I think we forget that songwriting actually is a business. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we, we romanticize kind of the singer-songwriter, the Bob Dylans of the world, who can, uh, you know, write and perform, uh, put it all together. But music is a business, as we well know. And so there's a market for being able to write songs, even if you don't perform them. And um, so John Hyatt was writing songs and selling them. And this particular song, he collaborated with a guy named Fred Kohler. And I don't know much about Fred, but I mean, he's collaborated on a lot of stuff. And this is all part of the Nashville music scene. And uh, so, yeah, Jeff uh, got hold of this song. Um, I don't know the mechanism by which he got hold of it, but he basically put it together um, for this his first album. And... Uh, and then it was when I got to see John Hyatt perform that song that I got to appreciate it in a new way because of all that John Hyatt brings to his craft. So tonight I the stars above. So turn your angel eyes my way. And so there's actually two John Hyatt songs on that album. I think Confidence Man was the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now Fred Kohler, I had this bit of a deep dive for me, also co-wrote my fourth favorite song by John Prine called <laughs> Let's Talk Dirty in Hawaiian which is a fantastic song. <laughs> I don't know if it'll ever make it to the podcast. I hope so in our specialty stuff in our third I, or fourth year. I, I like that you can nail down your fourth favorite song yeah. by a specific <laughs> – by John Prine of all people. Like that's J- – Just off the podium, but, yeah, but yeah. you know. Yeah. Originally, I was going to say second. I was sitting here and Bruce is talking like, okay, it's my second favorite song. Like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, no, that one's my second. So, that's my third. No, 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 no. That one's my third. Okay. If I stay in here long enough, Let's Talk Dirty Hawaiian might go down to seven or eight if I yeah. start thinking of all the but songs. But it's definitely top ten. It's top, top ten. It's yeah. a great song. And one of the more hilarious titles. Yeah. And they actually do talk dirty in Hawaiian in the song. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, have to you, put that have, out there. Have you ever had a kind of a scandal in the top three that bumped a song down? Like, you know, the metal was reclaimed? Yeah. We'll have to see. See if Angel from Montgomery has any... Uh, I'm sure it has drug use in it. (laughs) I don't know that happens in rock and roll. Uh, Okay, the song proper. So, um, should we jump into lyrics first? Is that what we're? uh, What are we feeling? I don't know. Like, uh, like, yeah. We can we can jump into the lyrics. Um, But like, I'm I'm interested. So we we got Bruce's uh, his story, and you can see my air quotes here of of the first time he ever heard the song. But what? 
How do you remember this song, Bill? Video came on like top 30 much music. And I just remember and then thinking, I don't, that guy, like, is he blind? Like, oh, and then who's the girl with them? And they're playing and those two guys in the band, they look like the exact same guy. So I I have it written in my notes. I was going to say for later, but in the video, I looked at the, I kept looking at these two guys and like, I don't know if the Jimi Hendrix band, if those other two guys look like twins too. In my head, the other two guys in Jimi Hendrix also look like twins, but I looked at these two guys and they look like they were identical twins. Turns out they're not, but I have written in my notes, you're going to like this. The bassist and the drummer are the Carol Burnett and Vicki Lawrence of rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) I should probably get their names though here. That's fantastic. Bruce, can you tell me the names of those two again? Yeah, Tom Steven is the drummer, and uh, Joe Rockman is the bassist. And Tom Steven actually ended up writing an autobiography about his time with Jeff Healy. Oh, so, okay. Oh, so cool. Pick it up if you get a chance. What I, I heard uh, Tom relate a story um, that I thought was hilarious. The first time he met Jeff was was seeing him play at a at a concert and um and and Jeff got up um and did that thing where he was moving around the stage you know just uh pressing the guitar uh against his thighs and he was bumping into tables and and things were falling off and uh so we got a chance to meet him backstage afterwards and said man uh i guess he had quite a lot to drink he goes what do you mean well you were knocking tables all over the place while you were playing he goes uh, I'm blind. <laughs> he had no idea. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Also, he tells a great story. I'm going way off on the side, but this is hilarious. And he woke up on his tour bus while they're traveling in the states, and he's like, "What? What's going on? Like this car's moving back and forth. The bus is moving back and forth. I can't figure this out." And he goes and he hears the bus driver say, "Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, a little left." little right now yeah you got it you got it, jeff you got it jeff healy is driving the, the tour bus, the tour bus. <laughs> they said jeff healy is also like a person who if he wants to accomplish something he's going to so yeah 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 oh that's awesome <laughs> so frank you we know you're you well you have a specific memory I, I i don't have a specific memory of of the first time that i heard this song but uh, i do have a a memory of this song so when i was in university there is a like a, a i think it was uh, it may have been Labor Day weekend. So there, there's like a small sort of festival uh, beginning of the school year uh, that was put on by one of the uh, radio stations in, in Toronto. So they always had uh, Canadian bands that would come through and play these uh, play this thing. And I, I was there two or three years in a row. I can't remember. And uh, the one year Jeff Healy was, was, uh, was playing. And I'm later years in university so i'm 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 probably close to 22 myself right and at the height of kind of my quote unquote music snobbery when i was trying to you know separate myself and get into a lot of different uh, sort of uh, more indie bands and uh, more stuff that would be uh, you know rated fairly high on pitchfork uh, as as opposed to the the stuff that i really truly loved in in, right. in my heart and i remember saying i was like oh jeff healy like it's like this guy, like it's like, what's Jeff Healy done? Like, wh- who, like, right, right. Who's Jeff Healy I- anymore? This is this is nineteen ninety seven or ninety eight or whatever it was, and uh, he started playing, and obviously ended his set with it with Angel Eyes, and I just fell in love with him and the song all over again, and just how fantastic it was. And I remember there were a lot of people in university that were making like mixed CDs at the time, and and started like downloading angel eyes right but uh but the the cockiness of like here's 22 year old frank who's who's saying like you know jeff healy like come on like you know i'm I'm above jeff healy's and realizing that i'm at 22 trying to be this music snob and at 22 jeff healy recorded this song and just like well who's frank pearson what's he really done like <laughs> honestly <laughs> i wanted him to just stop playing like who do you think you are yeah exactly it was a great humbling moment for me but uh but no that was uh that was a sort of a a reintroduction of the song into my life and just like nope never again we're like you're openly loving all of these songs. Well, and then that's the podcast is just coming up 20 yeah. some odd years later. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this song to me in some ways is one of the ultimate imposter syndrome songs. Is that, am I got that right? Imposter syndrome where you yeah. feel like you don't belong? Yes. Does that work? 
Yeah. Is it just a guy who just doesn't feel like he belongs? I think when you, if you have a, You've ex- you- if you have a position of responsibility or you have some level of achievement or prestige and, and you feel deep down, maybe you haven't earned it. Yeah. That's kind of imposter syndrome okay. where, I mean, I mean, we're all capable of just feeling. Ber- Bercy, just describe my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's work through this a bit. So um, the narrative framework of this is he's taken his girl to a club, I'm assuming. She's looking fine tonight. So it's like every fella's, oh, that's the John Hyatt lyrics. So let me get that right. Every guy's got you in his sights. And then he's got that line, what are you doing with a clown like me is surely one of life's little mysteries. And that's nice. That that, that line makes sense because it, it ties into um, Jeff Healy's time as a mime. <laughs> Girl, you're looking fine tonight And every guy has got you what you're doing with a clown like me is surely one life's little mysteries. One of the things that interests me was when he sang clown. Like his vocal delivery interests yeah. me a lot. Where I was said to Ashley today, I said, Hey, could you listen to this song? And then tell me what's going on with the vocals. And so she walked into the uh, kitchen and immediately turned off the music. I was going to say, what did, she really, she hasn't even listened to this podcast. No, I ever. don't think I don't. so. She just turned it off. It's like, all right, whatever. Like, just like, oh, what? Did you just ask me something? Like, yeah, never mind. I'm just going to ask Bruce <laughs> when we get in here. So he begins with the way he sings this uh, verse is he's got that kind of... Um, I don't know how I describe his voice, but he's got a natural blues. I mean, he's he's been raised on the blues, or he loves the blues, and so there's a there's a blues voice there, but there's also this sort of softness to it. Mm-hmm. But when he says "clown," he does something with the vowels. Is it a diphthong? Clown, like where he where he's he pronounces the W or something. I'm familiar with the term. I feel vastly underqualified to comment on diphthongs. So you have imposter syndrome <laughs> about the term. I do. I just know I don't want to see somebody in a diphthong on the beach. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested in what he's doing vocally with the way he sings and he keeps dropping his register as he goes. Yeah. So I always wonder, how does he keep the power? Because it seems like um, it would just be tough to sing. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't sing, so I don't really know. Well, you sing. You just... I just did, I guess. Yeah. I don't sing well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you just need to qualify that, right? <laughs> yeah. I think the clown reference, you hear it in a more contextual way mm-hmm. in in John Hyatt's versions. I think his voice is more generally self-deprecating. And so, you know, the the clown reference seems to fit in very well with the way John Hyatt performs it. I mean, and it is part of the song. Yeah. And, and I think Jeff does a great job in terms of putting a little emphasis there. Yeah. And so I guess when I hear this, I'm like, ah, Jeff, you're not a clown. That's not true at all. But when I listen to John Hyde, well, you probably are a clown. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, but I'm sure John Hyde feels the same about me. Yeah. When he points me out, just like Jeff Healy pointed you out at that concert. At that concert, You want to know who a clown is? You are, Bill. You're a clown. (laughs) All right. Chorus? What do we think? How are we feeling about this chorus? I like it. It's a man that realizes what he has and like sometimes you just can't look a gift horse in the mouth he has something great it's like he doesn't know how he got it but just like you know what you gotta flex that you gotta you gotta strut with that like i have something awesome and uh you know i'm completely thankful for it It, it's a thankful man there's also our our friend Stu would say, "Don't ask that question. You don't. Yeah. Don't, don't ask the universe." And they might say, "Well, wait a second. Yeah, Why yeah. do you have her? No, yeah. Don't ask the question. The you universe, got lucky. The universe made a mistake, yeah, and then- <laughs> you just take it and run yeah. with it." But I've been in the same where it's like, I, I don't know how this has worked out for me. So there there is something I think universal about that when you find something that's true and good. Yeah, and it just feels like, well, how is this even possible? Yeah. yeah, some yeah. Sometimes it's best not to ask the questions. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a sense of being um, somehow unworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's something in this particular stanza that reminds me of, uh, you know, you look wonderful tonight, Eric Clapton right, song, yeah, right? I yeah. mean, it's all about that, how they appear and the attention drawn uh, to his partner in this in this situation. There is a time-honored tradition, though, of of asking that question, or at least having conversations with stars. I mean... It is a classic stand-in for fate, for destiny. Um, Bill, you taught Macbeth, right? Yeah, yeah. Stars hide your fires, let not yeah, light see my yeah. deep and dark desires, right? Yeah. That's that's Macbeth just not wanting to have his motives exposed. And even Romeo, when he finds out that uh, Juliet's dead, she's not. That's just the witness protection program. No, 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 I haven't read that play okay, yet. Okay, <laughs> sorry, spoiler alert. Um, but at that moment, he says... Is it even so? Then I defy you, stars, right? So it's a stand-in for shaking your fist at the universe, at those controlling forces that are beyond, you know, what you can manipulate. But you can shake your fist, but you can also show gratitude because in this particular case, they were generous. So I get this uh, picture is that Jeff Healy is calling out to the stars, asking a question, and then the camera pans across the sea and time to Macbeth saying, no, 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 (laughs) I'd hide. And then pans back, back to our present time where someone is waiting for a star to fall. Boy meets girl. Yeah. It's all coming together. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) These songs are interconnected. I think I think that it, within the the Bill and Frank's uh, guilt free pleasure universe, this all these songs sort of interconnect in some way, shape, or form. Your favorite verse is the next one, Frank. The, the the second verse is the one that resonates the most with me because it's uh, like at the time that this comes out um, or even like the year or two later, like when I'm at school dances and we've talked about this ad nauseum, right? Like this is this has been discussed and uh, I think I feel like there could be volumes of, of, of journals being written on, on, on the topic, but uh, – yeah, this is me. This is me in grade seven, grade eight, grade nine, whenever it was that I was going to school dances. It's like, well, I'm the guy that never learned to dance. Like, well, I'm I'm still that guy. If you've seen my dance, it's a, it's a sight. Uh, never even got one second glance across a crowded room was close enough. I could look, but I could never touch. And it, that was like, you're sitting on the sidelines, just like you're, you're seeing um, all these people dance and have fun and you see, you know, the girl that you like or the girl that you love or whatever it is that you're feeling. And as a, as a adolescent and, uh, and you just don't have the guts to, or you don't think that you have enough to, to go up and talk to her and, and, and be with her. So that's all you can do is just sit on the sidelines and stare like a creep. Succinct verse, and it captures an emotion. Oh yeah, and it's so powerful. Like it's, the, it summed up so many years in just like four lines. <laughs> there is the pathos, right? Where it's like you, you've been there, and yeah. you hear Jeff Healy also singing it with, with the knowledge that Jeff Healy is blind. Yeah, it it adds to the song where he's yeah. like, you just you think about it. So it, it, I mean, it's not really fair to put on it, but because the music video is my first introduction to it, his voice somehow seemed to be calling out the sadness although jeff healy in person didn't seem to li- live that way at all but in the song it captures it yeah yep well i'm the guy who never learned to dance never even got one second glance across the crowded I could look, but I could never touch. I, I thought about you, Frank, when I was looking at this verse, thinking back to your podcast. Gee, um, thanks. N- well, no, but 
I had that experience too. And I think if you actually, you know, polled people across the board, there would be more people who identify with this experience than, you know, the, the confident person who feels like, oh, yeah, I'd like to go dance with her and I'm just going to go up and ask. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, of course, there were those people who seemed to operate that way, but they were a minority, I think. Yeah. And it's much more common. This particular verse has a, has a lot more resonance because I think we all have our own experience of feeling unworthy, of neglected, uh, unable. So this is great. So now I'm just not even special. I'm just like one of the masses, am I? You got a lot of people to surround you, a great community, a cloud of witnesses. (laughs) (laughs) Frank, we are all part of these universal archetypes. We'll call Carl Jung in for an interview and uh, he'll he'll set us straight. Just so you know, when she wants to dance, there's about 800 of us ready to (laughs) to compete. Him or or me? Like, which one of us? This song, what I also like about this song is it has a very clear bridge. Yes. And this, we know what that is. <laughs> I was so excited. Like, all right, if this ain't a bridge, yeah. I don't know what a bridge is. <laughs> exactly. My favorite part is where the bridge takes us. Yeah, the bridge is really is really nice. I, I, I appreciate yeah. that as well. Yeah. Because after they talk about don't wake me from the dream, because this is the best thing that's ever happened, but then it leads to my favorite lines, which was um all you fellows, and love how he says fellows. You know, usually mm-hmm. I think of these sort of songs, it'd be fellas. Okay, fellas. Yeah. But for Jeff Healy's, like, all you fellows, you can but look all you like. But this girl, you see, she's leaving with me tonight. And to me, that is, I mean, it sets up perfectly because then you hit into his guitar mm-hmm. from there. But it, what a line. And it's yeah. also that culmination of despite all his doubts and all the yeah. feelings that of inadequacy yeah like she's coming back yeah. with me what a huge victory So this whole fellow thing, I had to think about it a lot. Interestingly, you know, John Hyatt, in his version, he says fella, and he uses it in the beginning too. So he says, uh, and every fella's got you in his sight. And then in that uh, bridge, he's saying, all you fellas, you can look all you like. Um, he doesn't use fella, that is to say Jeff doesn't use fellow in the first stanza. He uses guy. Yeah. And so that got me wondering, well, why not? Mm-hmm. Like, why did he shift to using fellow here? And this is speculation, so I could be wrong. Oh, we, we thrive on speculation. Okay. So I think what's going on here, it's it's the actual structural emphasis of the bridge, the way the lyrics get punched out. And it goes, all you fellows. So it's da, da, boom, soft stress. So you need a two-syllable word to describe guys that will fit in that sonic and rhythmic structure there. And you can't, guys is, you know, guys, that's just too awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Clown. Yeah, yeah. no, there, there's there's not a lot of words that can fit in there, so... So fellows does the job. Yeah. But my initial thought about fellows was like, no, it's too archaic. Like who says fellows? Bing Crosby says fellows. Hey, that's swell. Fellows, let's go down to the USO and let's, you know, that's, you know, that's the kind of vibe, right? And, and those fellows are probably wearing trousers, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's a very kind of archaic I think they uh, wear thing. slacks. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. think fellows wear trousers. <laughs> well, this is... I'm going to look this up on Wikipedia. <laughs> so I was, what, what do fellows wear? So initially, I thought this took place in Roadhouse, 
But now I think it takes place at the university professor's bar. Yeah. <laughs> so now it makes total sense. Yeah. This is in Oxford, maybe. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, there's the fellows. Literally, the fellows. Like, yeah, yeah. okay, you fellows. She's coming home with me. Yeah. Okay, so since it's all connected, yeah. <laughs> the film clip that came into my mind was Beautiful Mind. So John Nash, yeah. right? He's in the bar and the blonde woman walks in and all his friends just focus in on, oh my gosh, she's the one. And it's this moment where he starts to question Adam Smith's economic theory about what is good for the individuals, good for everybody. And then he basically says, you know what, it's better if we don't go for the focal point here, and more people will end up being happy. And so he establishes game theory in that moment of not going for her. So I thought, maybe you could work that in, Bill, to some discussion how game theory works in this song. Yeah, except Jeff says, game theory be damned, she's coming home with me tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Forget, there ain't no game theory here. This is blues theory. Yeah. yeah. And it's not even the blues. This is, what's the opposite? Usually the blues is like so hard done by. This is, he's taking her home. Well, yeah. Yeah. And this is, I mean, on the, the Wikipedia page, it classified the song as soft rock. But, oh, uh, well, I don't, oh. I think with a, with a, a blues undertone. What would you do classify as guitar? I, I think I wanted to look it up before we started this, but would you call the guitar like a dirty guitar or raunchy guitar for the type of sounds he gets out of it? Is that what they use for blues guitar? So in the beginning of the song, I would call it like a flange sound yeah. effect, right? Yeah. It's that. Yeah. Um, and and that seems to be the you know the layering of of uh, of the guitar sound initially, uh, and then it becomes you know gets cleaned up into a much more, you know, precise uh, sound as the song progresses. Girl, you're looking fine tonight. It does have the spirit of its time, 80s clean production, right? Like there's still, it's still clean in the mm -hmm. sense of how it's produced. Which I like. I yeah. saw some criticism of it. I don't like that. I don't like to yeah. hear that criticism. No, 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 no. There are very few criticisms I would put on this song. Yeah. Actually, none. Now, after the bridge, after the musical interlude, mm -hmm. we come to that line where... And I love how this... The song Telsa tells you. There's one yeah. more thing I need to know. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, so this yeah. would be the last. It, it's it's the Columbo moment. Yeah, yeah. It's the, uh, one more thing as he's looking in. <laughs> well. And it's this to me. This resonates where he says, "If it's love, why does it scare me so?" Yeah. And then he then it goes to must be something only you can see. But girl, I feel it when you look at me. And I'm like, oh, this is true because I know when. You know, with Ashley, I remember she would look at me and it'd be the moment of like, ah, you're seeing something and I'm kind of like, like freaking out in the sense of like, whoa, something's going on here. Yeah. Whatever this is, is much bigger than what I can handle. There's just one more thing I need to know. If this is love, why does it scare? So I have written down here that real love is scary, like fear of God. Then I have, don't mess it up. Uh, that's, a, that's a message for myself here. Yeah. But there is this sense, like an, when, it, when it's love, oh man, it is kind of terrifying. Okay, so confession here, um, get, get this out in discussion. It may or may not be relevant. But when you started describing how, what you thought was going on in the first stanza, um, you described a scene where essentially he's arriving at this place and this is an established relationship, right? Mm -hmm. I think for a long time, I was looking at this as kind of an encounter on the night of. Like That's how I read it too. So, so but it's interesting, right? Because your, Bill, your, your description of 
um, it's every guy's got you in his sight. It's like they're jealous because they see this beautiful woman with him, right? Um, and and what you doing with me? That's a mystery. But I think I thought of it as kind of the events of an evening where at the beginning of the evening, he's just the guy who doesn't feel he's got anything to offer. And somehow, in, and that's probably how I made the John Nash scene mm-hmm. connection, that in that evening, somehow she became attracted to him. But it you know, begs the question, how do you reconcile the you know, the spontaneity and the temporariness of this one evening encounter to this whole idea of love mm-hmm. um, as being longstanding and long-lasting. And, and the best I could kind of come up with was the idea that that verse comes after the bridge, and it's like what every pop song has to do in one sense, which is to describe the immediacy of a moment but also the impact of a lifetime and that you're kind of extrapolating that, you know, even though this is just the beginning that you can feel that this is the start of something special and, you know, I'm, I'm going to roll with this and see where it goes. So you're, you're saying this is a song about time travel. <laughs> yeah. But love does conquer it. I, I saw Interstellar. It's uh, love. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a new Or dimension. back to the future. Or back to the future, yeah. There's just one more thing I need to know. If this is love, he says. And so this is the beginning, but I... I would agree with Bruce that this is that this is the beginning of something that is yeah. going to last, and you know when the, and there is something when you're in that moment, you can you can sort of feel it. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> no love. Okay, love is scary, right? Like a casual encounter is one thing. Yeah. But when you actually, you know, look into the abyss, so to speak, that's more of a negative connotation. Yeah. But but when you look into the potential and the power of love, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, Huey Lewis saying about it. Well, it's a curious and, thing. And T Bone Burnett yeah. and uh, you know Mark Hurd, right? That the power of love can do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's terrifying, right? I also just want to say the other part I really liked about the song is when the um, backup vocalist do the ooze. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, okay, is it is it the the drummer and the bassist, or have they they brought in some women to do the ooze? Mm-hmm. I couldn't quite tell, but they sounded really good ooze. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking they brought in some session singers. So, interesting side note, I was looking at the liner notes uh, online, and I don't know if it was specifically for the song, but one of the backup vocalists was Timothy B. Schmidt from the Eagles, right? Like, so, I mean, this was recorded in Los Angeles, so they had some, like, some pretty heavy hitters. That makes sense for the ooze, because that's a Timothy B. That is. If if anything. (laughs) Yeah. The producer did produce the Eagles later, I think 94, he produced the Eagles with that Love Will... Love Will Keep Us Alive. He produced that song. So his name is producer is, I got it written down here. I also have it here. It is Greg. Uh, Greg Ladani. Yeah. He's a famously, I mean, he's well decorated in terms of um, his uh, the awards he's won. Mm-hmm. So he was an engineer on Toto 4, the album with Africa on it. Okay. So yep. I think won a, I think won a Grammy for that. He also produced Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Okay. And then he did another song, one of Chris Newkirk's all-time favorite songs by the church called Under the Milky Way. Okay. Which came out that year as well. And also, he passed away, like, tragically in uh, the late 2000s. He fell off stage 15 oh, feet. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, was just wow. a, So, I watched a YouTube um, kind of montage dedicated to him. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. my goodness, this is so sad. So, he passed away in his late 50s, but yeah. just by accident in Greece. Can we 
go back yeah. to the song for a second? Because there was there was something that I was thinking about, um, and, and you referenced this, Bill, that mm-hmm. there's a, there's a kind of tension within the song, um, and like anything that's interesting, you know, in terms of art, literature, music, right? It it can't be just entirely smooth sailing, right? There there's got to be some internal tension that draws our attention, and so when you look at the um, the lyrics, it's it's straightforward in one sense. But when Jeff Healy is singing it, it's it takes on a different dimension. I was trying to think, well, what is what is it? And I realized that I think it's a kind of irony. So you can correct me on this, but um, it's not an irony of situation, but it's more like a dramatic irony because there's this difference between what the audience understands is happening. It's not like Jeff doesn't know he's doesn't know that he's blind. Of course mm-hmm. he does. But you hear the discrepancy between all the references to vision and sight that Jeff is singing um, when he's visually impaired. And you you take that in as a kind of uh, kind of dramatic irony that the song isn't aware of of what's it's saying in the mouth of the singer. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so he takes something where I listened to the John Hyde version, which which is good. And then there's also the version, what's the other band that did it? There's a third band that did it that year. Not New Grass Revival. That's it? it, the yeah. New Grass. Okay, so that was came out the same time. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's yeah, it's kind of bluegrassy kind of didn't have it. Didn't have the feel because with the the banjo thing, it yeah. doesn't have. This has to have that sort of slow soft rock groove, I'd say, and then this voice, and then like you said, the dramatic irony is, I guess, what I'm thinking of when I watch the video, and so it. I mean, Jeff Healy knows what he's doing because he picked this song, and, and on an album he called "See the Light." Yeah. So he there, he knows what he's doing, and so yeah, that, that brings that brings a ton of power to this. And another tension within the song, which you also referenced, just because we're on the topic, um, is that we know that that Jeff Healy can just kill it on guitar, right? I mean, it could almost be a disappointment that he doesn't just, you know, burn the house down with a, a screaming solo at right. the end. And I've heard some live versions where oh, yeah. he builds in some some beautiful solo work, right? It's, I mean, it certainly sets itself up for that, but. I think it mirrors the attitude of, of of the singer in the song, which is which is one of humility, which is one of gratitude. Right? This is not someone who's wrote in the morning. I'm going to manifest, you know, a relationship. I'm just going to make this happen by the strength of my own will. Yeah. This is someone who's playing within the flow of the offense, <laughs> letting letting it uh, just come to him, and. It's like he understands that in the context of this song, this is not where you strut yourself. This is where you maintain humility. And uh, it's it's not the place to show off with your guitar licks. Right. It's the place to just kind of, um, you know, kind of be a bit muted. Do not take over the moment when you're just trying to show how grateful you are. Astute. <laughs> See, I can't say that better. <laughs> I was barely paying attention. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy texting. Yeah. But I think what he said was good, though. The success of this song in the States compared to Canada, to me, is interesting. That it reached number five on the Billboard Hot 100. But it reached like 15, I think, in Canada. So this was, at least as a single, more appreciated in the States. There might be something with the blues being born within that country. But also, they they embraced it. And so when I saw him on Letterman on his debut, Mm -hmm. it was pretty cool. Letterman had him sitting with him too, which is pretty rare. Yeah. And then... um, Arsenio Hall also kind of came up and kind of hugged him from behind after he did his performance on yeah. that. And so there was something that they saw that was super special. Mm-hmm. And I wonder in Canada if we realized it. I watched some much music performances and he was cool. He was friendly with everyone and everyone was good with it. But in the States, they knew something incredible was happening. Yeah. And I feel like I don't, I don't know if we caught it here. 
Oh, yeah, maybe it's something that we kind of missed out on or something. Because yeah. usually when you look back, we kind of cling on to our homegrown talents, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's if, – if it's someone from Canada making it big like in the States, then they're going to make it huge in Canada. But that's – it's uh, it was – kind of role reversal here, right? Yeah, at least for this single. I mean, I yeah. know he was successful in Canada and won Junos and stuff, but mm-hmm. it, what, it did interest me that it seemed to fare better. I think I think it reflects that there is a much, and we know this demographically, right? There's just a larger audience, but because of the whole, you know, blues tradition, like, you know, walking in Memphis, right? I mean, um, even... John Hyatt has a song called uh, Let's Go to Memphis in the Meantime, uh, you know, talking about the difference between country music and the blues. But in that whole kind of Delta blues experience, there's there's a whole tradition um, that honors this kind of music and the kind of music that Jeff Healy plays. Um, and I don't think Canada has a same kind of receptivity to it. It's not that we're hostile to it, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, we just don't have the same history with it. Mm-hmm. Should we talk some categories? Yeah. Do you want to? I want to talk a little bit about the music video. I know we haven't really t- t- touched on it, but you'll see yeah. where I'm going with this. Yeah. Okay. Yep. The music video is. I trust you, Bill. Thank you. The music video is okay. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of forgettable in some ways. Although I remember it was in black and white. I remember there was a girl in it. I remember he was I would was say it's more of... sepia tones or sepia. Oh, was it? Yeah, I guess it's been a while. So yeah. uh, it's more black and white, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is the last time Bruce is invited back. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, where the video should have taken place in the movie Roadhouse yeah, it should have just been so. shot there because it would make sense within the whole – he could be bringing her to the roadhouse. Yeah. She could be there watching him sing. Yeah. And they could have like – Patrick Swayze could also have made a appearance. Yeah. And Sam Elliott. You yeah. know, you, 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 you know, you could you could have made this happen. So, mm-hmm. to me, the song fits into the roadhouse yeah. uh, movie. Because th- this album was recorded at the same time that he was recording the songs for – the, Roadhouse. the soundtrack, Roadhouse. Yeah. And I want to believe that this song was in Roadhouse, but it's not. No. But he did, he did a ton of songs in Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did Patrick – well, Patrick Swayze did one song on Roadhouse. That's correct. The video, I think you're right, is is largely forgettable. Yeah. Um, this interspersed black and white footage and, you know, it's going to attract Except, the women. Yeah, yeah. But, but the really weird part is, like, you know, for – Two-thirds of her shot, she's wearing sunglasses, right? This is a song called Angel Eyes. Right. And you see her in dark glasses. Like, you only get a few glimpses of her actual eyes. And then when you discover a little more about the context, you realize, oh, she's a guitar wrangler for the band. Like, you know, she's out there putting the guitar on a stand for Jeff Healy. And she's in the room listening to it and stuff like that. So... Anyway, that made me think of, well, what other songs feature that kind of vibe? And then I thought of Tiny Dancer, Elton John, you know? She's a seamstress for the band, right? Oh, that's <laughs> what she was. Does this make this relationship inappropriate because of the power relations? Ooh. It was the 80s, so that, those those kind of, those things didn't really uh, matter then. <laughs> that's true. She was wearing a leather jacket, so I think. All right, the rock and roll then. Yeah. The um, Now, a uh, little bit of uh, trivia for you. That Bruce might have already seen in some interview. I was I was trying to do deep dive and everything I could find online Is on it Mark this. Twain. No, but it does have uh, it has to do with Roadhouse. That he when he was acting in Roadhouse, mm-hmm. when the script came out for Roadhouse, the one guy's looking at it. I have it written here. He said uh, Jimmy only had to look about the eighth page of the script to find a description of the band. So this is in the script. Yeah, which is a blues rock band with a young blind guitarist who plays flat on his lap. We thought it was quite a coincidence till we found out that the writers from Toronto had seen us. So everybody <laughs> figured that they might as well get the same band that was used as a script model to be in the picture. And that's yeah. what happened. So that's from the the drummer. Yeah. Brought that up. So Roadhouse is a very enjoyable movie to watch. Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah, know I don't know what it, it did get nominated for a lot of golden raspberries, but that is eminently watchable. If you can if you can do roundhouse kicks and jeans that tight, you deserve an award. Yeah. 
Jeff Hill's pretty good in that too. His yeah. acting was fine. Like he's he's he, he's got he had such a good personality. Like he, yeah, he, like uh, I mean, who knows what would have what would have come if he was still with us, right? I yeah. think he he and his radio show was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had an insane collection of seventy yeah. eights, like yeah. thirty thousand something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. Mixtape song universe. Okay, Frank, I have some stuff for this. Yes. Okay. Um. Song Universe, there's just one particular lyric in a, mm-hmm. in a song by Josh Ritter called, uh, the song is Kathleen, mm-hmm. and, and it fits in with Angel Eyes. The rest of the song, not necessarily, but the one lyric is is so brilliant. It, it's it's kind of like the, the same thing, just like, yeah, you guys can look, but she's, she's coming home with me. Um, so in that song, there's a lyric that says, uh, I won't be your last dance, just your last good night. Which I, I I always thought was just such a a beautiful lyric and and just the confidence of the guy just like yeah you're coming home with me like this is this is what what's what's going to happen um, so that's kind of lyric universe I, I think all right we're just gonna yeah. proof text some lyrics mixtape yeah I'm going very uh, literal here perfect so angel eyes. How do you talk to an angel? Oh, the Heights. Yes. This is the third time we've brought up this song. <laughs> we, yeah. we have to talk about that. We're, we're going to do an episode yeah, on that this, song. That song fits in nearly perfectly with yeah. the, with Angel Eyes. Yeah. Um, angel of the Morning, but the Pretenders version, not the Juice Newton version. Oh, tough. I would have liked Juice Newton, but well, that's, yeah. that's a whole other episode. And then uh, taking it all again to the... Bill and Frank's uh, guilt-free pleasure universe, um, Angel by John Cicada. Oh, nice. I had these all down too. Are you serious? Yeah, I had Angel and John Cicada. I had, I had the heights written there. I didn't have uh, Kathleen in there. Oh, okay. Um, I had songs that had the same type of texture. Yep. Blue Rodeo Lost Together. Oh, yeah. So I feel like... Jeff Healy could have really covered some Blue Rodeo songs really yes. well. And I feel like Greg Keeler from Blue Rodeo could do a good job on Angel Eyes yeah. if he's going to cover. So to me, there's there's a, there's a some kindred spirits there. I, mm-hmm. would, I think a Blue Rodeo-Jeff Healy crossover would have been really interesting. Yeah, And then on a different sort of uh, in the universe world, that the response to Angel Eyes, you know, when he talks about how how does he end up with her, the response could be, this is an old song, My Funny Valentine, where the person describes his lover Mm -hmm. in all these ways, like, you you know. This is how you bring Ashley into the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. This has been (laughs) air over. But where basically the My Funny Valentine, the more they describe the Valentine he likes, like, yeah, you're, that's probably not the best way to describe the person you're in love with, but just like, uh, yeah, so it's... um, I should have really looked over those lyrics. I just know yeah. it's like your face looks kind of funny. Like, oh, that's that's a tough thing to say to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Valentine's. All right. Bruce, you got anything? Yeah, for that? I do. I have a few here. Um, so within the universe, song universe, um, what popped into my head was uh, guess who? These eyes. Oh, okay. Right. And it, it's a different it's a different vibe, right? Because these eyes is a lament for what's been lost, whereas Angel Eyes is a celebration of what's been gained. But just just the eye eye thing there, I mm-hmm. think, is pretty strong. Um my friend Chris would disown me if I didn't reference the song. Angel of Harlem, you too. Oh, okay. Um you know, soul love is the line in the song, and uh, I think that absolutely makes sense. Um, Frank, Mr. Big, to be with you. Oh, yes. Yeah. Waited on a line of greens, greens and, and blues, blues, right? That's that's the dance experience. But that, that's on the list, right? Yeah. Okay. It's on good. the list. Good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of uh, gravitating a little to the side... Um, Last Kiss, Pearl Jam version. Oh, okay. It's this whole idea that I've got to go to heaven, got to be good so I can see my love again, right? Yeah. So it's it's kind of that. All right. See yeah. that angel thing. So, um, so the big question, could Michael Bolton sing this? 
I think the answer is always yes, he yeah. could. And and then the answer is almost invariably, please don't. Don't do this. Don't do this, <laughs> Michael Bolton. I don't know how you feel. I just, I don't want him to. I would like it. to, like a one and done in a concert. And if I was there live to see see it happen, I, I could appreciate it in the moment maybe. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You I think we need to, to get this. Michael Bolton more credit than he gets. <laughs> So I mean this is I mean this is a classic pop ballad. It could be done by so many people. Mm-hmm. Um I think it'd be hard to screw it up. But I think there's Oh, I could find a way. Well, <laughs> there there's some people who I think kind of could do a you know a really good job. I was listening to one podcast that um references Wait, wait, wait. wait. You listen to podcasts that aren't us? Um in a parallel universe. For research, for research. Okay. For research. Um, Thought it was cheating on us. Anyway, these guys are all about music lyrics. I think they're called music scene. But uh, they brought up, you know what? John Mayer should cover this song. And everybody said, oh, yeah, John Mayer should absolutely do this song. What do you think? You think John Mayer? I mean, he's got the guitar chops. Yeah. He's got the guitar chops. I just, I, I think the uh, his reputation doesn't fit well with the song. Oh. But I guess I feel protective of the song. Yeah. Like, I don't mind John Hyatt doing it. Like, I guess you could do John. You wrote it. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but Jeff Healy's like, no, that's Jeff Healy's song. Yeah. And, yeah. and I feel like with his, he's got a pretty strong following. Like, he's got a really good fan. I don't think, John Mayer doesn't want to be coming up against Jeff Healy's, yeah. like, legions. And there's something about the pathos of the song that I yeah. just don't know if he, he just couldn't catch it because John Mayer is the guy who plays guitar at the dance while and gets the girl gets all the girls. I'm like, yeah. oh, that guy, Mayer. You're right. John Mayer is Sade's smooth operator. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the guy who's in this song is is not the guy in Key Largo with Love for Sale. I mean, <laughs> no, he no, may have, that. he may, actually, he may have love for sale, but it's, it's on consignment at Value Village, yeah. right? It's, this is not, you know, easily accessed. Down in Kokomo. <laughs> Down in Kokomo. Um, Bonnie Raitt, Bonnie Raitt could do this. Yes. Because, okay. because it would be believable within, within that world of, uh, I can't make you love me. Yeah. Same th- pathos is there. Yeah. So, the equation that I make with this song, if you're going to cover it, is that because of the stance of, I think, the, the humility of the, the main guy in the song, that it should be someone whose voice is imperfect in some way. It's got a, you know, so John Hyatt has a scratchy quality right. to his voice, right? So I was thinking, okay, classically, you know, Rod Stewart, uh, Joe Cocker, I prefer Joe to Rod. Um, yeah. But Yeah. Rod dance with all those girls. So, but I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll make two suggestions who I think could cover it well. And uh, interestingly, they both have the same last name. Yeah. Okay. So, last name is Anderson. So, just last week, um, I got to see Matt Anderson. Yeah. Perform. I don't know if you've seen him before. He's from New Brunswick. He's very much uh, in in that blues uh, genre, but you know. Rock and blues and rhythm and blues. Um, he's got a super powerful voice. He can really growl it out there. Um, and he's got fantastic guitar chops, like really, really impressed. So that, that would be my Canadian Anderson, Matt Anderson. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I introduced this other guy to you, um, called Anderson East is the band and he's an artist right. from Alabama. And that brings it full circle because he's operating out of Nashville, and he's got this kind of um, this kind of growly um, sound that you know is very much rhythm and blues, uh, and, and I think he'd do a fantastic job with it. John Anderson from Yes, probably not. <laughs> I put that out there. <laughs> Ian Anderson, what's he in? He's uh, Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull, yeah. Yeah, no Judd. No Jethro Tull. No, no Jethro Tull. <laughs> Whatever happened to flutes and songs? Yeah. <laughs> they just Aqu- disappeared. <laughs> Aqua Angel Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, um, all right. I We don't need to talk about it as a Hallmark movie. This is a movie about a cooler who goes in to like, clean up a bar, but it's really has a side, well, it's going to have a side plot about the guitarist yeah. leading a band who gets the girl. That's that's the movie's. That's plot. the Hallmark. Movie. Yeah, that's the Hallmark yeah. Yeah, movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's definitely a hallmark. Movie. Yeah. Well, first, we thank you for, for coming here. You've given us a lot to think about bringing this song to us, too. Again, just kind of reintroducing it to us because it it's always been there, but it's not something that you think about super, super often. But now it's going to get regular play on, on some playlists of, of ours, that's for sure. Uh, I appreciate the analysis, too. This was We, we went deep. And I've enjoyed just listening to this all week. I've been listening to Angel Eyes for for the last week and a bit. And diving into Jeff Healy's discography, but also just kind of getting to know Jeff Healy just through those interviews and from hearing from his bandmates has been pretty incredible. Yeah, I just want to say um, I am a huge fan of the podcast. I've been listening steadily and uh, it's been a great companion on many walks and uh, working around the house. Um, I think it's one of the best qualities of a podcast is you really do feel like you're, you're, you're sitting amongst friends and uh, sharing a pint and just, uh, there's so many times where I want to put up my finger and say, Hey, uh, what about, um, and I just love that capacity uh, that your conversation brings to invite people into some uh, really great explorations of fantastic music. So uh, thank you for uh, letting me be part of this. It's, it's, it's a blast. I love it. Um, just want to pose the question to our, to our listeners. And uh, we were super, super thankful for everyone that's uh, listened to us and given us feedback and told us what a good job we're doing or what a terrible job we're doing or, or what it, whatever it is. But I just want to pose this question to everybody out there. I just want to know, what did we do and what did we say to turn your angel eyes our way? I mean, he had an insane collection of yeah. 78s, like yeah. 30,000, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So I, I was reading an article about how he knew all these 78s, like intimately. Yeah. And as I read the article, my mind just kept on exploding, you know, in bigger ways. The thrust of the article was that, you know, when you lose a sense, the brain compensates with with other parts of the brain doing stuff. And so, mm -hmm. Jeff had these capacities, uh, you know, like a, an eidetic memory in uh, in many ways, uh, like photographic in in an audio sense. And um, so, this guy describes he and a friend who were trying to stump Jeff with um, with these really obscure seventy eight records, and they would hand him the record and he would just, you know, kind of run his fingers over it. He knew 30,000 different 78s by touch. He could he could just tell you, you know, what year it came out, who was who <laughs> Jeez, was amazing. who released it, all this stuff. Um it was just unbelievable. Like and he had them in his basement um not in sleeves, but just like, you know, giant kind of like it was a, a robe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And and he knew exactly where to find anyone that he wanted. He could just walk over and grab it first time every time. Hmm. It's Unbelievable. 